Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 213 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, we are going to look at the downfall of David. Let's dive in. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about God's holiness and his righteousness and how we too are called to be holy for he is holy. And if you remember from a few episodes ago, the whole concept comes down to this idea that you and I, in and of ourselves, out of our own ability, out of our own resource, cannot be holy. In fact, Isaiah says the best attempts that we can have at producing righteousness out of our own self, out of our own intellect, out of our own ability is but filthy rags. And yet God calls us to be holy for he himself is holy. So how on earth are we going to be holy if the best attempts that we can produce is but filthy rags? Well, if you'd like to dive more into that concept, we've been walking through that in the last several episodes. But I mentioned that in this particular episode that I wanted to give a practical illustration of what this looks like lived out in scripture. And I wanted to look at the life of David. I'm really intrigued by the fact that David is a man after God's own heart. And I, I love the fact that throughout his entire life, all the way up into the scene with, with Bathsheba, that he's actually portrayed as nearly perfect. Now, we know that he, he was not perfect. We know that he is a man full of sin. And yet the way that scripture presents David is that he was always victorious. He was always righteous. He was always doing that which God was calling him to do. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6 and verse 14, it says that the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And that word preserved, it's the Hebrew word yasha. It means to preserve, to deliver, or make victorious. And it really gives this idea that all throughout David's life, he had complete trust, he had complete faith and dependence on God Almighty. That he wasn't living out of his own righteousness, he wasn't living out of his own flesh or his own effort, but that God was constantly preserving and making him victorious. And it's interesting, when you look at 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, it says that David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and did not deviate from anything 
that God commanded him all the days of his life. Now, pause right there. I'll finish the verse in just a second. Listen to that again. In 1 Kings 15, 5, the first half of the verse says that David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and did not deviate from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life. And again, it goes back to this idea of righteousness. Biblically, there's two kinds of right. And again, there's that idea of right in God's sight, or there's that which is right in our sight. (laughs) And there is a difference. See, that idea of right, as we've been talking about this idea of righteousness, it's that which is correct or righteous or upright or sincere or honest or godly or just or pleasing or straightforward or proper. In other words, it's the way God is and the way man ought to be. And so God has a right. And according to 1 Kings 15, 5, David always did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And in other words, he didn't turn within himself. He didn't reason through his own intellect. He didn't try to source his own behavior. Rather, at every juncture of his life, he put his gaze upon the Lord and said, okay, God, what is it that you are wanting me to do in this particular situation? In fact, I I love that illustration in 2 Samuel chapter 5 where David is crowned king over all of Israel, and so the Philistines come out to fight David. And rather than just go out and fight the Philistines, David turns to the Lord and says, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, all right, go out and fight, and I will doubtlessly deliver them into your hands. And as they come back sometime later, David didn't just presume that God would give the victory again. Rather, afresh, he turned to the Lord And said, all right, God, what do you want to do in this situation? And in the second case, God says, now pause, wait, I will deal with them. I will, I will bring the battle. I will be the the victory. And then as you see, or you hear the, you know, the chariot wheels and the tops of the mulberry trees, then you can go out and pursue them. And I love that David didn't just presume upon the Lord. He was constantly seeking the heart of his God, That, that he always did what was right in the eyes of the Lord that he was always seeking the counsel, that which was correct and righteous and upright and godly and proper in the eyes of God. Now, you do understand that there is a right in humanity's eyes. There's a right that seems right unto a man or a woman. And the idea there is this idea that, okay, I turn within myself. I reason from my own intellect. I see it through my own perspective. And I say, okay, what do I deem as correct? What do I deem as proper or pleasing. And I don't know about you, but there's so many times in my life where I made a decision thinking it was absolutely right because it was right in my own eyes. And yet I realized it was completely wrong. And what would it look like if we, like David, didn't turn within ourselves? We, we didn't seek our own wisdom or our own ability, but rather we were constantly seeking that which was right in the eyes of our Lord. So think about this concept again. In talking about David's life, up until the time of Bathsheba, right, and that great travesty and sin, it says that David did what was right in the eyes or the sight of the Lord and did not deviate from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Now listen to the end of 1 Kings 15.5. It goes on and says, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. 
So David was constantly seeking the Lord. David was constantly looking for what was right in God's sight. However, there was just this one time, just this one little time where David turned within himself, reasoned from his own intellect, and did what was right in his own eyes. Well, what did that cause or what happened? It caused the downfall of David's life. And you see that the whole story begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So let me just read this. 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. And of course, you know the story, but as his men are out fighting and living on the ground and, and having rations as they're besieging Rabbah, David is truly undermine, undermining the entire nation as he stayed at home in Jerusalem. And there's all these contrasts and ironies in the passage, which I'm not going to get into because that's kind of a study for another day. But I want to focus on this idea of rightness or righteousness. In, in light of all this, James 1.15 says this, When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it runs its course, brings forth death. And you see that exact thing going on in David's life, that that here he is up on his up on his palace roof. And of course, you understand in the Middle East, the roofs are flat. And that way you can go out there in the evening and get the cool wind and the breeze. And so here's David. He's up there on his palace and he's looking down over the city of David. And of course, if you've been to Israel, the, the city of David kind of comes out as a point from the, the hill of Jerusalem, the Mount of Jerusalem. And all the houses would have been kind of going down in a steeped fashion. And in David's palace, they found the some archaeological ruins of the palace. It's up on top of the hill. And so if you can imagine this, here's David on the top of his house looking down across the city. And as he looks down one evening, there's this woman bathing uh, with, his, with the window, obviously somehow near where he can see on the palace roof. Now, I do find it somewhat humorous, not like a ha-ha humorous, but well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> But the fact that she's taking a bath and her name is Bathsheba. But nonetheless, here's David and he sees Bathsheba. And it says in 2 Samuel 11 that David sent messengers to figure out who she was. And they reported back, well, that's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And so it says in verse 4 that David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. And it's interesting that word sent literally means in the Hebrew, this idea to take, to seize, to reach out and grab, to capture, to carry off. And it's used a ton of times in this entire story. And so in this account, you have David reaching out and grabbing Bathsheba and dragging her to his palace. Of course, he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant and then he ends up killing Uriah. Now, listen again to this statement in 1 Kings chapter 15. It says, David did what was right in the sight or the eyes of the Lord, and he did not deviate from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. So here again is David, always seeking the Lord, always doing that which the Lord desires. But there's this one time, just one time, David reverts back into himself, reasons from his own intellect, decides what he's going to do, reaches out, grabs Bathsheba, sleeps with her, and ends up killing Uriah the Hittite. 
And of course, you know the story, but Uriah, uh, as he came home, uh, David called him back from the battlefield and said, hey, how are things going? He says, well, not as good as we would have hoped. And David said, okay, thanks for the report. Hey, why don't you get home and, and rest and, and just, hey, spend some time with your wife. And of course, Uriah, who's not even an, an Israelite, he's a Hittite, who has come and followed the command of David. And yet Uriah was righteous where David was living in sin. And it's interesting, of course, David calls him back the next night, gets Uriah drunk, and even Uriah drunk was more pious or more religious or more righteous than when David was sober, which is really a scary thought. And so as you see this thing progressing, right, obviously Uriah is not going to go home and sleep with his wife, so David can't cover up the sin. So what does David do? Well, he sends Uriah back to the battlefield and says, Joab, I want you to kill Uriah. I want you to put him on the very front of the battle lines and step back and, and allow him to be killed. And of course you could say, well, wouldn't Uriah know that something was going on if he was put on the front lines? And I don't think he did if you know who Uriah is. And here is where you have this great plot twist in the account. Do you know who Uriah the Hittite was? Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. That, that David had these 30, I think it was like 35, 36, 37 mighty men who were the best friends of David. They were the ones closest to David. They were these valiant men who did great exploits on behalf of David. And Uriah was one of those men. So think about this. When David went and sent to figure out who this woman was who was bathing, and they reported back to David saying, well, yeah, that was Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. David knew exactly who she was. That this wasn't just some random woman in his kingdom. He knew this woman well. In fact, Uriah and Bathsheba and the other mighty men probably were over for dinner before they went out on the battlefield uh, to, over to Rabbah. Do you realize that David's mighty men were often put in the most precarious and dangerous situations. So when Uriah was sent to the front lines, it would have made sense. It's just like, well, yeah, we need some of our strongest, best guys out there in front. But as Uriah dies, it's really, I mean, it's so sad to me that as you look at how David responds to Uriah's death, you go back and you hear about the death of Saul. And of course, Saul, the king, was David's enemy. Saul tried to kill David countless times. And yet when Saul died, David wept, he tore his clothes, he, he wrote a song, a lament on behalf of the death of Saul. When Abner, Saul's commander, dies, David weeps, he laments, and writes a song on behalf of Abner. But when Uriah, his best friend, dies on the battlefield, and Job sends a man to report all that had taken place and the fact that Uriah had died. David says, send this report to Joab. Hey, the sword devours one just as it devours another. No big deal. Isn't it heartbreaking to realize that just one time of turning within yourself, reasoning from your own rightness, caused David's downfall? In fact, this is so intense that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, kind of at the end of this whole account, it says that the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And that word displeased 
means to quiver or to tremble. It literally means is it, it was so displeasing and putrid to the Lord that God was shaking, going, how could you do this? And as a result, in chapter 12, God sends this great, great prophet by the name of Nathan, which had been a great guy, <laughs> to confront David. But do you realize that that one time, it was just one time of David turning within himself and reasoning from his own rightness, that that one time literally led to the death of Uriah, death to that child. And as you follow David's account through, I really think you can trace the fact that uh, Tamar, his daughter, uh, that was raped by Am- Amnon, his uh, David's son, uh, the murder of Amnon by Absalom, the rebellion of Absalom. You start going through David's life and you start to realize from this point forward, David has a lot of problems that I really think can be contributed to the fact that David opened a door to sin in his life and his family. In fact, I really think maybe you can even argue the fact that when the kingdom split after Solomon, that whole thing can be traced back to this account. That sin is not something that we are to take lightly. Sin is exceedingly serious. I don't know who said it, but an unknown author said, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I think that is a very, very true statement. Well, think about all that in light of our topic of holiness and righteousness. Do you realize that you in and of yourself cannot be holy? That the best that you can pull off is filthy rags. But what would happen if rather than living out of your own rightness, living out of your own attempt at righteousness, what would happen if you, like David, prior to the case of Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba, what if you would always do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and not deviate from anything that he commanded all the days of your life? See, what if you would realize that the only hope that you and I have to live a holy and righteous life is to allow the one who is holy to come within our lives and begin to produce his holiness in and through us. See, this is not about gritting our teeth and attempting and trying and struggling and striving, trying to be more righteous. This is realizing that I can't, but he can. So would I embrace Jesus? Would I allow the fullness of the Spirit of God to come within my very life and begin to produce something that in and of myself I cannot do? Can I ask you, what areas of your life do you need Jesus to get smack dab in the middle of? What habits, what addictions, what thought patterns, what behaviors do you have that biblically should not be in your life? Well, there's a lot of means that you can try to get over all that stuff. You can grit your teeth, take cold showers, flick rubber bands, or do a myriad of other things, but ultimately that will never change your heart. So what if the key wasn't gritting your teeth and attempting and striving and struggling, what if it would allow Jesus through his indwelling Holy Spirit to come smack dab in the middle of every single one of those behaviors, addictions, sinful patterns, thought processes, and begin to radically change and transform that area of your life? What if it wasn't about you turning within yourself and trying to do what was right? What if it was embracing the one who is right? What if it would be surrendering your own rights and saying, God, I surrender my rights 
and I want to embrace you, the one who is actually righteous, you who are actually right. And would you take all of your holiness and all of your righteousness and, and would you somehow radically change my heart and my mind so that I would be transformed from the inside out? And as we walk in obedience, as we walk in surrender to him in our lives, your life radically will change. And may I exhort you, don't take sin lightly. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life, except one time, just one time, he turned within himself, lived out of his own sin, and really caused the downfall of his life, his family, and I actually believe the entire nation. See, sin is serious. John Stam, a fellow worker with Hudson Taylor in China back in the day, John and Betty Stam often talked about the seven steps upward and the seven steps downward. And I, I mentioned this before, but it's interesting that he said that if you if you want to begin to progress in your spiritual life and you really want to begin to walk these steps toward truly heaven on earth, well, the first step upward is taking sin seriously. But John and Betty Stam said, but if you want to go downward to literally hell on earth, the very first step downward is to take sin lightly. The moment we take sin lightly, it is a slippery slope downward into the very pit of hell. So may I exhort you, dear brother or sister, take sin seriously in your life. Don't justify it. Throw it at the feet of Jesus. Repent, confess your sins, and allow his righteousness, his very life to be given to you. And may I remind you that the Lord is calling you and I to be holy for he himself is holy and he wants to share his holiness, his life with you and I. Oh, what an incredible reality. What an opportunity that we as believers have to share in the very life of Jesus. That is so mind boggling to me. Man, that's so awesome. Well, I hope that was just a fresh encouragement and a great illustration of what does it mean to walk in holiness, but maybe even better stated, what happens when we don't. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a list of all those verses and quotes that I gave, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 213 for episode 213. And as a quick reminder, I am taking a group to Israel this upcoming March 2022, and I encourage you to join me in a small group of others as we study God's word in the very place where it happened. Well, all the information about the upcoming Israel trip can be found at deeperchristian.com forward slash Israel, or there'll be a link in the show notes again at deeperchristian.com forward slash 213 for episode 213. Well, know I'm very excited for all that God is doing in your life. And until next time, know I am cheering you on and praying for you as you walk in holiness and as you continue to build your life around Jesus Christ.